Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Hello and welcome back to Oz Business Australia's only live business and markets channel. Great to have your company. Uh, I'm David Koshin. Joining me on the panel today, Rudy Philippet Van Dyke from FN Arena. Rudy, welcome back. Good to my, see you. My pleasure. And Scott Phillips from Motley Fool. Scott, how you been doing? Have you had a good morning? Actually, Rudy, good morning. A very good morning. Uh, look, market's not necessarily as positive as you might have liked, but that's the way these things go. It's hard to complain after the last few weeks with the rally. Um, let's get to our um, our top 10 stocks that you've sent in. Uh, thank you very much. We're being inundated with suggestions for, for stocks that you want us to follow and give an opinion on. Um, first one, uh, Rudy, let's kick off with you. Fortescue, the, um, the iron ore mining giant. Uh, Andrew Forrest seems to uh, can't do any wrong over over recent times. They we have we have to all acknowledge that uh, what what the Fortescue management has done over the past two decades or so is absolutely amazing. Right? Yep. This is a sector that maybe after diamonds uh, was the highest concentrated market in the world only eighteen years ago or so, and they have become the number four player in in that market, which is absolutely astonishing. The other element I'd like to point out is that a few days ago, there were only 22 stocks in the ASX 200. They were actually up for the year, and Fortescue is one of them. So their performance is absolutely astonishing, given that we are uh, in a pandemic and in a recession environment. Obviously, it's not just them. I mean, they've done a good job in in upgrading their product and in in getting everything out of of the ground and to to the customers. But iron ore has, has proven quite resilient in this environment, and that yeah. is basically the full story you need to know. The problem I have here with, with Fortescue is that is the question mark how long before iron ore will pull back. I do think iron ore will pull back at some point this year. Yeah. Well, we are in a recession how, after how all. Long, how long have you been saying that? Uh, well, like, I know what you're saying exactly <laughs> because but the analysts constantly have to upgrade mark to market and constantly yeah. are predicting it'll, it won't stay here, won't stay here, and it's, it's, it has yeah, to it stay does. there for longer. Yeah. Everyone who's on board need to, need to take one thing into, into account. These guys are literally swimming in cash, yeah. so they will pay out a big dividend this year and probably next year as well. But there will come a point where the dividend of the following year will be a smidgen of what they've been paid out out of cash flows from the past. At that point, you have to be careful because when the dividend goes out of the share price, it won't recover then because the dividend will be much smaller. But that those are worries for I mean, maybe 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 eighteen months out or something right. like that. So, so here and now, I I wouldn't chase it here. Right. Um, so you wait for for a pullback at the very least. Right. Uh, but you have to congratulate everyone who's on board. Yep. I mean, they've done a good job. Scott. Sort of a backhanded compliment from Rudy there. I'm not sure how to take it. Rudy's done a really good job summarizing exactly what's going on there. Uh, This is one of the great Australian success stories, like Afterpay at least thus far, when you can literally build a business from the ground up and and become 
a world power in this case an iron ore twiggy gets every bit of praise from me nef power as well i've done a spectacular job building that business so to Rudy's point spot on what worries me a little bit and i'm not like i'm a bit resources shy as we said a couple of weeks ago when we were on the program yeah. what i'm what i'm mindful of is at this current price we've got a big 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 margin between the marginal cost of production which is probably 20 30 dollars a ton something like that we're now seeing it you know 84 ish a ton there's a big gap there now if the economics of supply and demand work the way they should we should see plenty more volume coming on to take advantage of that big margin and if that happens we should see the price come down now maybe it does maybe it doesn't i'm not going to predict that because predictions are for people who are braver than me and maybe sillier than me uh, but i think if you think about the way we expect this moving forward you should expect lower prices rather than higher if there is enough supply to come on stream at, a, at an attractive price i think there should be now if the big guys manage in some sort of not not cartel behavior but just simply realize that hey if we all you know lay off the volume growth maybe we'll get better prices now that's the opec story with oil if that remains the case with iron ore then we'll see higher prices but you should be looking for lower prices if the economics holds true and if it does that should lead to lower share prices so i'm happy to give this one a miss until we get a, an iron ore price closer to the marginal cost of production when we do that's when the odds are in favor of the return i think now they're in favor of the risk and i wouldn't be buying Okay. All right. So great company, great management, done a terrific job. Great performers. Great performers. But not but right now. Yeah, not right now. Share <laughs> price, a bit high expectation. Iron ore prices go backwards. Um, probably the other end of the resources scale is our second stock, Syrah uh, Resources. Um, what, uh, really, they have a mine in Mozambique? as well which sounds very exotic yeah well, uh, trading around 24 cents at the moment i've, I've been to mozambique uh, yeah. mines in mozambique don't don't really mean that much um <laughs> i think i think i i'm sus i suspect here that the reason why people are interested in this stock is because it has it has been marked down so deeply yeah. i mean you, any price chart that you take over long term it hardly registers anymore at the, at the right end of the chart i mean it's, it's gone really really low yeah the, i mean Point number one is often buying commodity stocks when they're on their knees turns out the right strategy. But yep. you have to be careful that the sector or the stock that you're buying into is not in trouble. And I think this company is in trouble. The trouble is as follows. There's an oversupply in graphite. So they have to, they basically had to reduce their production and they've now put their, I think their, their operations on, on care and maintenance. They're waiting for a, sh for, for, for a better price for their products. The problem with that is that if they start ramping up their production, now, can you then expect that the higher price will remain in place? That's the big question mark. So there might, there might be in between a rock and a hard place that they determine where the price goes, and every time they ramp up their production, then the price goes down again. Right. And that's not a position you want to be in. So I would, I would draw a big circle around zero resources and look elsewhere. Yeah. They certainly had a pullback like the rest of the market have not had a bounce back. No. And the pullback wasn't because of COVID. Uh, yes. It seems to be um, uh, a lack of support in the market. Scott, what do you think of Sarah? Yeah, agreeing with Rudy too much is not making for great television, Koshi, but I can't disagree <laughs> with him here. I think, you know, remember, there wasn't that many years ago, maybe it was, maybe it was just been old. When, uh, when, when gra remember graphene, that was the big thing, kind of, I think it was before lithium and after nickel, we kind of went through that period where graphene was going to revolutionize the world. It was this great new material. It was a couple atoms thick. It was going to do all these wonderful things. Now it still may. The problem was when the story took off, 
so did investor hopes, so did mining speculation hopes. And as Rudy said, that's what's led to this oversupply. And I don't see that stopping anytime soon. Now, graphite, the graphene's kind of turned to graphite. There's other uses for it, but there is simply so much of it around. It goes back to my point about supply and demand when it comes to what you're trying to do with the business. This was, a, I want to say, four five dollar stock a few years back, or maybe maybe more than that. But this has been a really serious fall from grades. I think we need to be a little mm -hmm. bit careful to separate out the kind of memories of those hopes. There can be some sense when a share price falls, you look back and go, "Wow, this was big. This was something. We know this name now, and so it looks cheap." Without necessarily going to the second level and actually realizing, oh, you know, working out the the fundamentals, saying actually, does it justify the the, the reputation it, it has? I don't think it does. I think graphite will continue to be in demand. Graphite supply will continue to be strong because everyone wants it. Now, if you are super contrarian and super anti-cyclical and you want to say, well, at some point others go out of business, maybe a fourth, a fourth era, maybe there is some sort of upside here. I think that's the only way you'd play this. But to Rudy's point, I see no reason why Zira is any meaningfully you know, superior to the other players in the market and weight is more likely to slide than others. So I'd have to give this one a bit as well. I just don't think it's worth the speculative dollars. Um, Again, you look at the share price chart, you might think, well, how much lower can go? The answer, of course, as we all know, is at least 100%. Uh, that, you know, you always go to zero from wherever it is. They're not predicting that. But buying a really, really bad strategy. Yeah, all right. Okay, that uh, uh, the answer is well and clear, truly clear there for zero resources. Uh, both guys saying certainly avoid it. Uh, next one is a tech business, Frontier Digital Ventures, the digital part of this business is online classifieds. The frontier bit is it's in developing countries. So a fascinating business, Rudy, but- Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm not, I'm inter not... Interesting story, but is it a good investment? Yeah, ex exactly. So here, here's the thing where I, where I think where a lot of investors go wrong. It's called risk and yep. it's, it's, it's assessing risks. We have on the Australian share market, three companies that are absolutely fantastic in what they do and in their grip of those markets. And they're called REA Group, they're called Seek, and they're called Car Sales. Yep. And I think, obviously, a lot of people would draw from, from the fact that those companies have, on average, been quite good for shareholders over the past yeah. decade or so. Yep. They draw from that, of course, the fact that Orbit's Frontier Digital does something similar but in other countries. In yeah. new markets. Yes. Yep. The problem with that is that the reason why those three companies on the Australian stock market have been so good for shareholders is not because necessarily the sector they're in, it's because of the market positioning they have. They are the number one in their sector and they've been very successful in defending their turf. Yep. In particular, the likes of Seek and Car Sales have had a lot of attacks on their number one position and they've been very successful in, in, in staying there and basically keeping the mode alive. Someone like Frontier Digital, I mean, we're talking in countries like Pakistan and, and I mean, uh, Vietnam. Yep. Yes. The situation there, at the very least, from the consumer side, from the technology side, from, from, the, from the society as a whole, is nowhere comparable to Australia or the US or Europe, apart from the fact that they, they're basically in the building phase. Yep. And that means, yes, you can easily go from $1 to $2, but before you know it, you, you can also fall back to 75 cents again. And that's, I mean, it's, it's okay if you're on board with the right risk assessment, but I would basically say, in particular in this context, if you can buy REA and car sales and seek at a discount, why would you go down mm. uh, and go to Frontier Digital? Yeah. Um, and Scott, they're really trading off those stories, aren't they? Though I noticed the coverage in the past, 
they've said we want to be the REA of of the developing <laughs> world, um, uh, building a great story around it. Yeah, I think that's right. And Rudy's dead right. Look, I think I'm a little less negative or, or um, I think there's a chance that it does well from here. I think there's always that that chance. <laughs> it's the old line, yeah. Are you saying there's a chance? There's a chance. Uh, the reality, though, of course, is a much, much, much higher risk. I think you're exactly right. They are training on the, we can be the seat of, we can be the REA of. That's a really seductive line for potential investors. Now, maybe they can. So, you know, this is not necessarily going to zero. It's not necessarily worth nothing. But to, to Rudy's point, the risk word is a really, really, really important one here. This is lotto ticket type stuff. Really big potential payoff. Also a very good chance of a very, very significant loss. Now, Rudy gave a couple of great examples. ICAR Asia, remember that? ICAR Asia was going to be the next big thing. Eventually, it kind of got, you know, it just slowly disappeared. Capital raising up to capital raising. I property was out there as well at one point. You know, the something of something. Now, to be fair, Seek has itself, REA has itself, bought in the past, even car sales. They bought, you know, other businesses in other jurisdictions where they do see oh, yeah. opportunity in developing markets. So the idea, the story isn't a bad one. There is money to be made by being the top dog in those sectors, in those countries. The question for investors is how likely is it to be this particular company? Someone's going to do it. And so it's easy for us to say, you know, we, we know Seek, we know REA, we know car sales. And then we were invited to do the thing of saying, look how big Indonesia is or Pakistan or China or whatever. Uh, and, and we're invited almost subliminally through the maths and say, wow, this could be huge. Now, yeah. again, it could be, and someone's going to do it. So, that, you know, they're in that fight, but it's a brave person to say there is a high yeah. probability of any small company in a developing market where, remember MySpace back in the day before Facebook? Yeah. You know, MySpace could have been Facebook and it got taken over and absolutely left the dust. Now, Facebook won't have that trouble, at least to the same degree and the same chance of oblivion because... It got to critical mass quickly. MySpace was never quite there. And that's the difference here. So even if you're a leader in a small growing market, someone else can always come in with plenty of time and take that dominant share, do a Facebook to your MySpace. So okay. yes, there's a potential. Yes, there's a chance. I wouldn't be banking on it. It's low ticket type stuff, but it's not a zero chance. So just bear that in mind if you're investing. Yeah, and, and also it's a, a very different story if, if like a car sales, you're dominant and incredibly profitable and a well-run business in your home market, and then you decide to uh, to buy into Mexico or South Brazil. Korea, as Brazil. they did, Brazil, but you've got that base underneath you yes. Yes. rather than have no base here, here in Australia yes. and throw the dice overseas. Yes. That's essentially because car sales still makes most of its money in Australia, yeah. as does REA and, and maybe yeah. Seek is now different because they have a very big Chinese operation. Chinese operation, yeah. But in general, you're right. I mean, you have a big base at home, which yeah. you defend with all might, yeah. and you venture out, you add complementary yeah. instead of having no base yeah. and just starting everywhere from scratch. And, yeah, and, and rolling the dice again. All right, so uh, I know for Frontier Digital, interesting story of a business though. Um, from one of the, uh, the new tech frontier businesses to one of the old established companies here in Australia, James Hardy. Uh, Rudy, one of, the, one of the great brand names yes, in the Australian but, share market but, 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 in the material but, but, sector. But also quite, uh, it has had its controversial days as well. Yes, It, prom it promised the court it wouldn't uh, uh, re relocate and it did. Yeah. Um, I think last last time I checked, they're in Ireland now, aren't they? They went to the Netherlands and now they're in Ireland, I think. This is probably um, 
the, the, the highest quality uh, company we have in, in that building material sector. Yep. Um, having said so, there's a lot of debt there and they do on occasion misfire, uh, which they did uh, from memory in 2018. They had a couple of profit warnings. Um, it's very cyclical. So they are very good at what they do, but it's very mm -hmm. cyclical. And I can't help but wondering that optimism in the US is uh, a little bit um, exuberant at the time. Yep. So I think uh, th they're looking towards a more challenging environment, at least for the, for the rest of the year here. So people buying in um, should be uh, patient, I think. And otherwise, just if you're not patient, just go elsewhere because right. this business, I mean, there are so many things they do not control and yep. the US economy and building sector would be yep. one of them. Big pullback though from about 32 bucks around Christmas time, Scott, to, to 20. Yeah, and this one, I first looked at this one, I have to say, look, I don't follow it super closely, but I looked at the I looked at the share price and I looked at the fall and thought, wow, maybe there's some value here. And that may well have been the case. That five-year chart you had up though, that's the that's the real story. Because yeah. if you think about the way that's come to pass, it's a big fall from the last couple of months, or maybe maybe the last five or six months but not too much higher than it was five years ago. And I think that was the you know, investor exuberance. There's one thing to say, share prices have fallen from you know, recent levels to cheap levels. Yeah. In this case, I think it's much more likely James Hardy was simply very, very extensive and falling back to more moderate levels. So you, you've got to make a different view here. Just because the share price falls sometimes, great opportunity. Other times it's simply the market, maybe I think in this case, realizing that it might've been a bit too carried away with the American growth story. Now. Again, who's to know? In, in a different world, coronavirus doesn't happen and maybe it's a $40 stock. So, you know, it's it easy to say in hindsight, investors got it wrong. Now, whether that's true or not, open question. But as I said, if you look at a six-month chart, you think, wow, this must be a buying opportunity. You look at a five-year chart and say, gee, it seems like that recent peak was the irrational part of it, not the current fall. Now, <laughs> that, the, re the recent we peak was a time to sell. We will see that kind of disruption over the next six or nine months. I and as that comes to pass, we'll have to try and deal with the, the fallout, and it's going to be an unknown fallout. We don't yet know who gets hit, why, what, and how hard. But it does seem to me if you take that recent peak out and you go back over that two, three, four, five-year period, the shares don't look objectively or subjectively cheap. So I'd be giving it a miss. I do think, as you've already said, great brand, great business. It's actually pretty dominant in its space. So there is a time, I think, if you're a cyclical investor, to buy James Hardy. Uh, for me, of course, better known as the sponsor of the Bathurst race, uh, but for others, building materials. Um, I think that's you know the time to buy is when you get a discount to not only previous prices but ongoing earnings. I don't think we're there yet. I think it's probably when you see some return, we may miss the opportunity. Maybe there's no downturn in building, in which case we miss the opportunity. But if there's a downturn in building, I think it's possibly worse to come for Hardy and then possibly for its share price. If it does happen and you're cyclically inclined, that's time to go and buy the stock. Okay. I, I think maybe to summarise Scott Scott's view and he's, he's, he's right. In January, some people were speculating that the US economy would grow by 4% this year. Now they're looking at minus 5. <coughs> I think that's, yep. the, that's the difference. And that's what you've yep. maybe not, not seen the share price just yet. So it's uh, fair enough to say it's a cyclical stock at the wrong time of the cycle. The, rec <laughs> the recession is, 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 is only in its early stages. Yeah, here. exactly. All right. So a no for James Hardy. Um, now, what would we call Miso Blast a, a medtech stock into... Uh, uh, basically into stem cell research? Yeah, well, it's the old, the old I, I, I don't know whether it's a biotech or life sciences. I actually no. don't know what the difference between the two is. Um, believe it or not, people people are paying $9 uh, 
a share uh, years ago for this one. Uh, see, for me, that's I mean that that's a um, purely speculative venture. I think yeah. the traders sometimes love this one because it goes up a lot and it goes down a lot. Well, yeah, and um, look at the last four yes, weeks, yes, and basically and doubled. Yes, <laughs> and exactly. And believe it or not, it, it used to be a, a member of the ASX 200, uh, no longer. Uh, see, for me, that's just, uh, I mean, that's not an investment. I mean, they, these guys need capital all the time. Yeah. Uh, they obviously sometimes have a good story to tell. Now they're working on, on a possible solution for, uh, for, the, for, the, for, the, for the virus, basically. Yeah. But you know what? Um, if, if, you're, if you're a more cautious investor who likes to have a little bit of uh, less risk in whatever, whatever he puts his money in, then you would never add this to your portfolio. Right. Right? And if you do, I would recommend that people do it with a very small portion right. and probably buy them when they're on their knees and not when they're rallying high. Right. Okay. Scott? Yeah, Mesoblast is one of those companies that it, it really does define the, 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 the quintessential gunner stock. The, the stock is, as we said, always, it was $9 at one point. There was always this thing around the corner. Uh, what was around the corner tended to be more cash required, actually, than, than some sort of you know discovery. That's the reality for a lot of these. And as we said, biotech, life science, health science, med tech. Um, the only difference really, by the way, is marketing, as you, as you well know. Uh, it just changes names when there's, a, when there's a sexier name to try and market these companies' shares. And that's kind of what it is, right? Like these guys are doing really, really important work, trying to discover the next big thing and more power to them. I love the fact they're there. I love the fact there's plenty of others around the world trying to discover the next big thing, no, no less than the coronavirus vaccine for now, but certainly over time, other products that may well help save or extend lives. So super important industries. The problem is it doesn't necessarily make them super great investments. And I think that's that's what I said about being a gunner stock. This is a company that really has spent a lot of time trying to be the next big thing and never quite getting there. Now, it's always tempting to say, well, maybe this time is the time. And hey, maybe it is. But on average, if you take that, you know, if you've invested money regularly over this, I dare say you're still behind and probably by a decent way if you've been investing it for any length of time. So one to be very cautious of, I think, um, I'm not even sure necessarily that it, it, it's kind of got this name, as Rudy said. Um, it's become the uh, almost the, the most respectable of the biotechs, I think it's probably fair to say, at least in that second year. You've got the CSLs, of course, and that kind of stuff. But it's kind of the name people go to when they want some exposure, almost by reputation. Again, a little bit like some other companies we've talked about, um, uh, Syria in particular. It's kind of become the, the stock that, you know, it's, it's, the, it's the proxy for the sector. I think that's unfortunate because I think investors impute on it too much value and too much probably expectation and hope as i said i'm glad they're trying to do great things they are absolutely trying to do their best doesn't mean you should invest in it i'd be giving this one a clear berth you yeah. just we don't need to take the risks and over time in biotech uh, very very hard to make money in a basket of stocks just simply because most of them like gold miners like gold speculators most of them don't come out ahead every now and again one does yeah. and people cling to that one whether miso blast is that one is an open question. But I don't think it deserves your investment dollar. And and also, I suppose you you understand these companies that are in the early days got to spend all their money on research and build the miracle uh, miracle cure or whatever. But then you there needs to be a, a point of truth yes. which says, can you turn that into revenue? Yes. And also, what people forget is, let's assume they can at some point then they still need, require a lot of capital because yeah. they've just spent all their capital on, on the research. Yep. I mean, they still need to build the product then. Yep. So, I mean, it, in, a, in a bear market environment, investors tend to, tend to clock to, to recurring revenues and to solid balance sheets. 
Yeah. This company has no recurring revenues. It eats capital, and and that's the story. It's yep. the opposite of what you basically need now. Okay. All right. Halfway through uh, the call today, ten stocks, sixty minutes, two experts giving their opinion, and uh, the first five: Fortescue, Sierra Resources, uh, Frontier Digital, James Hardy, and Miso Blast. Let's let's just say, <laughs> haven't tickled the fancy of either Rudy or Scott at this stage. Second half is still to come, another five stocks. Will we get a winner out of it? Let's see if we can, or are we just talking to a couple of grumpy old men today? All right, let's, let's go to number six. I am joking there, of course. And Scott, you are never grumpy. Um, let's kick off with you with, uh, with this one. No, what do you, not, not a lot. No, exactly. What do you rate, Scott, of Algium? Um, sort of a, a cloud-based tech software business? Gosh, you've set me up beautifully because I get to say yes on this one. So oh. to prove I'm not grumpy, I may be old, but I'm not grumpy, at least not all the time. Um, Altium is a really cool little Australian business that has made a niche its own in a really, really impressive way. Um, it, makes, well, it makes software to help people design printed circuit boards, the sort of things that people will see if you, if you don't do this, if you open your laptop. You see a whole lot of circuit boards in there. That's what powers your machine, lets it all do its wonderful things, including, by the way, watching Ausbiz online. Uh, and so it makes the so it provides the software to help people who make these things to design them and produce them. So it's a really kind of pick and shovels way to play the continued growth of technology. It's done a really, really fantastic job with cloud-based software, which we like. We like carrying revenue software. So those are both really good things. And it's been able to grow meaningfully in terms of total size but also share of market and it needs to keep doing both. This is a very, very richly valued stock. Let's be really clear. That graph shows you a pretty good story over five mm. years. Uh, if you held on for that long, you made a lot of money. I still think there's more to come now. And I think it's shown that it is the, the product of choice and particularly the growth part, right? So there's always gonna be legacy software. What you wanna get is people choosing your software over the legacy software, either A, as old legacy software users, or B, as new users to a category when you're starting up or you're adding uh, people to a team when you're trying to go and build this stuff, you want to be the product of choice. And Altium has continued to be that. So really expensive on a PE basis, let's be very clear, has to keep growing to justify its current price. But it's made every poster winner thus far. I don't see it stopping anytime soon. So mm. again, it's not the lowest risk stock because of that valuation. Be a little bit careful and as always, as we say every time, as part of a diversified portfolio, really, really important. But Altium is one I like, I think it's a buy. Okay. Invest, really? Investors tend to focus on, on, on valuation and share price, yeah. often, and in particular when they allocate new money. What they often don't realize is that, just like in the supermarket, just like with any other product, you pay up for premium, for quality. And Altium is probably one of the highest quality technology stocks we have in the share market. I have been quite a long time shareholder. Um, I have no intention of selling my shares. Right. I mean, this company, I totally agree with, uh, with Scott. This company probably has, a, has years, multiple ahead of it. Um, it's, it. I think from memory, it came from a number three position in that particular niche, and it's now working its way to the number one position. And there's only one way you do that. You have a better product and you take market share. Yeah. Um, the, the most amazing thing, <clears throat> and this just shows you the quality of, of, of management and of, of the business itself, the most amazing thing about this company is it can it can predict years in advance this is where we're going with this business and then lo and behold it and actually it actually gets there mm -hmm. right um and now also I mean, recently all the news and newspapers was 
it uh, it got rid of its guidance for the year, and that gets all the headlines and stuff for that. But what 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 the reporters didn't didn't pick up is that it stuck to its to its guidance to for, for the longer term in, in terms of market share and revenue, and that only means you you are a really high quality business because ninety nine percent of the businesses. Can, 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 can't even dream about doing that. But also a high-quality executive team running out of Exactly, stuff. exactly. Yeah. So it's, 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 a, it's a tremendously high-quality business, and obviously the guys who are leading it are doing a very yeah. good job at it, yes. At this price of 32 bucks? I don't think, I don't think PEs in this case, because you are paying off for the quality, give you a, a true picture. But you probably have to acknowledge, just from a, from a mental point of view, that it has rallied hard off the bottom. Yeah. Here's another lesson for investors as well. Quality stocks don't fall as deeply as the other ones and recover much quickly. Right. These guys have, have recovered quite quick. Um, so I would say to people, make sure you, you get your share of ultimately in your portfolio, but buy them on the, on the pullback. And, right. and it's a share market. It, it will have pullbacks at some point. Yep. Okay. All right. Well, we cracked up. We cracked smiles for number six of our top ten. Uh, well, <laughs> I'm glad I had a go at you, uh, you both just then, because... Look at the turnaround, uh, sheer ass, I must say. All right, let's. Uh, so, big tick from both the guys and a high praise for the executive team at Altium, which is uh, which I reckon is half the battle. The people behind it. Um, a bit earlier, we were talking about Frontier Digital Ventures, and they are in online classifieds in Frontier developing countries. Uh, both Scott and Rudy talked about how they were spinning the story there the REA of uh, developing countries, and we're going to mirror what REA did here in Australia. Um, our next stock, uh, stock, our seventh stock on the call, is in fact REA. So um, what comments do you give them, Rudy? I'll start by saying that I'm a shareholder, and right. I have been for quite a while. Um, I also think this is one of, the, one of the best stocks on the share market. Um, what makes REA unique is, is that so-called uh, network effect. Yep. I mean, once you are the number one position in a market that is, I mean, as liked as, as, as real estate is in Australia, yep. you have so many advantages over the number two and three in a market. And you see that. I mean, I would never consider uh, domain above REA. I mean, REA just kills it. Right? And, it, and, and it's that strong market position is the reason yeah. why you own uh, for, REA, first, basically. First mover advantage. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. They're the number one. They have all the advantages. They have the, the largest market share. They have the market power. They have the leading position. And you, and you just name it. So while now part of the share market might be focusing on the fact that we all, we're all in lockdown yep. and, and, and the volumes are going to go down yep. in terms of... In terms of and uh, property, property exactly. prices will also, take a hit. Also. They're not as much linked to property prices, though. For them, it's all about the volume and, and the activity among real estate agents. Um, I think you own this stock because you uh, suspect that property will make a comeback at some stage in Australia. Yeah. It will, and, and, and they will remain the number one position in that market. Yeah. Um, and they will solidify that one. So I think that's why, you own, that's why I own it. Yeah. Um, and, I, and again, um, it has been, if you take a longer term view, it has been one of the absolute star performers in uh, in Australia, yeah. Yeah. and that's why now it's I think for memory it's a top thirty stock in Australia. Maybe yeah. even no, not top top twenty yet, yeah. but it will be on. on so the it should be part of every portfolio. I think so. Okay, uh, you reckon of them? Yeah, I completely agree, and that that is the real challenge. I, I generally agree with Rudy's point. I will. So it's a buy for me. I'll, I'll say that up front, but I will provide a little bit of a counterpoint here. 
the real risk to me for REA is really how long and how keen Australian uh, sellers are, how sellers are, to pay up for the premium products that REA provides. It can't grow listings by you know phenomenal numbers from here by definition, right? It owns almost all of the market, even the market it doesn't own. Most of the time, it's got a dual listing between it and say domain, for example. So you know it, it hasn't got that much listing growth in terms of market share, if, if any. Secondly, the number of listings can't grow that many because again, I look we all you know double the number of houses being sold in a year. There's a limited amount to that. This comes rightly from its premiumization strategy. Getting if I'm going to sell my house, getting me to pay more for more features to get it bumped up to the top, to get it included in emails, to get it made part of a, a premium listing package. That's where the money comes from. Now, as long as we're prepared to keep paying that amount of money to get our houses sold, REA is in clover. And I think that's the most likely scenario. But I just, I think the risk for, for investors, we need to be mindful of the fact, even if listings recover and grow again, even if house prices recover and grow again, it comes down to how much we're likely to pay and continue paying for that premiumization feature at REA. As I said, I think people will, because if you're selling a house for, let's face it, if you're in Sydney, Melbourne, uh, almost Brisbane, it's a million dollars, you're probably going to spend the extra couple of grand and make sure you get the best yeah. possible price because the payoff is worth it. So I think it's a really good thing. I think the odds are good. But it's also worth saying in a slower market, if things slow down a little bit, people might balk at paying the extra for that extra premium listing because they're not chasing higher and higher prices. They're not desperate to get the best possible price. And we all are. But in terms of our optimism that drives our ability to open the wallet, that's the one risk I see for REA. I, know, I think Rudy's right about house price sales recovering, volumes recovering. Um, I think that's all going to happen over time, even if not for the short term. But we have to make sure as investors, if we're going to own it, I don't own it personally, but it is a buy recommendation for us. What we need to make sure of is that premiumization path continues. And I think it will, but that's what you should be looking at as an investor to work out whether the thesis is actually playing out the way you expect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. all right. A, uh, a big tick for REA from uh, both Scott and Rudy. Um, let's go back to the resources sector now. Uh, Northern Star Resources, um, massive global scale Australian gold miner with some pretty good mines. Um, Scott, let's start with you. you. You were saying earlier you're not big on resources, but a stock of the quality of, of Northern Star, does that, does that attract your attention? I get to go back to grumpy old man uh, mode. Dave, is that right? I'll, I'll, I'll go no. Um, I'll, I'll assume I should have that, that permission after giving you a couple of yeses. Yeah, so you've done well. I think you would be. So there's two things about any commodity producer. There's the commodity price itself, and there is the the operations of the business. Now, Northern Star has been a little bit patchy over time operationally, uh, but more importantly to mine at the moment, the gold price is doing really, really well, which is great for current profits. But again, if you believe in the kind of commodity cycles, if you believe in cyclicality, if you believe, frankly, that once this grief has passed, all those people who rush to gold now because of the economic dramas, as and when they get resolved, and it might well be months, maybe over a year into the future, potentially, but when it gets resolved, that safety asset, that kind of, you know, the rush to safety, as people say, I think it's a terrible thing to do, by the way, but people who do it, um, we may well find that these current gold prices are around the highs now, maybe it goes higher from here. My guess is that when things return to normal, it goes lower from here. So you're buying a commodity at, at, at a high-ish price with an expectation that in the future there's a lower price, is my view. And if that's true, very, very hard to sustain the levels of profitability that are probably already priced into the stock. You're only going to look at that graph to see that in action. Now, Milton's done a reasonably good job in operationally. 
But I think when the when the commodity price, in this case gold, is so high relative to the cyclical highs and lows, it's all about the commodity price, not enough about the operations. I'd be giving it a miss purely on that alone. Yeah. And Rudy, I would gather you're in the same boat because you consistently say buy resource stocks when they're on their knees. Northern Star certainly not on its knees. <laughs> no, but but I, I would make an exception for gold, to be honest. Oh, um, okay. Gold, gold, gold has has many fathers and many daughters. Um, <laughs> And, and a lot of people often get confused because gold, for that reason, it's not a black and white straightforward story. But um, see, I'm a gold investor. I'm not necessarily a gold stock investor. Right. Um, I use gold as a hedge. And um, with inv investor anxiety going up this year, with the Federal Reserve going all in and other central banks going all in, I made gold my, my largest holding in the portfolio. Now that has worked well so far. And I do think that gold has further to go here because the Fed is not, is not ready yet to stop. Right. And, and, and bond yields, uh, which ultimately, real bond yields are the ultimate mover of gold. Uh, they will remain negative, I think, for quite a long time. Now, having said so, gold in itself is quite a small market and there's a lot of speculation in and you name it. So it's definitely not a straightforward story. I actually think my, my philosophy is very simple. You, you, you add gold to your portfolio in level with your anxiety. Right. If you're really, really worried about the world, yeah. by all means, make it 20% or something. If you're just a little bit worried, just make it 2, 3, 4, 5%. Right. Now, if you move to gold stocks, that's a different proposition. They move much more than, than the price of gold. So you can have much more upside. We can also have a lot more downside. Investors should realize by, by buying gold stocks, you take on the extra risk of the, of the operator, of the mine. And, and Northern Star is a very good example of that. They recently had to say, like, well, listen, we're not gonna get as much volume as we previously promised because, amongst other things, we need to social distance at the mine, yeah. and and that 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 had consequences for their production. But it's a good lesson for investors that if you buy gold stocks, yeah. you actually have higher risk because you have company-specific risk. And sometimes, for example, the biggest gold miner we have, Newcrest, doesn't perform that well, even though the gold price is performing uh, right. so far yeah. very well. So, but, but you tend when it when it, as far as gold is concerned, to go the commodity rather than the miner. Yes, right. yes. Go direct. Yes, yes. I use okay. it as a hedge and not necessarily as a speculative investment. Okay. So how worried are you at the moment? What what percentage of the portfolio? Is it at 20? No, it's, it's, it's between 10 and 11. Okay. All right. So you're a bit worried. I am a bit worried. Okay. And, I, and I thought that central banks would have to throw a lot of money in it. Right. And that, and that, does, that does help gold, yes. Okay. All right. Um, next stock, so a no for Northern Star Resources. Um, Scott, uh, a great Aussie brand that's been absolutely pummeled by the, um, uh, by the lockdown and the border lockdowns. In fact, a great brand, but just hammered at the moment. Yeah, Jim, it must be depressing, must it? To start up the engine, have to turn it back off again and, <laughs> and walk back out the door. But look, yeah, to your, to your right, exact example, Koshi, I drove... Last Sunday morning to Sunrise, a weekend Sunrise, so I yep. try to hold the fort for weekends for you. Um, and uh, and there were Qantas planes lined up. If you've been in Sydney, you've been up the M5 East, coming from coming from kind of the, the Liverpool end of, of town. Um, as you drive through, there were Qantas planes lined up against the fence. There, there must have been a dozen of them, and it was just a really really depressing sight. Yeah, I mean, there's much bigger issues health-wise than than Qantas and its planes, but it really was so emblematic of the fact that everything's on the ground, nothing's in the air. 
Um, just a you know a really sad time for all concerned, and particularly for Qantas and Qantas shareholders, Qantas staff, of course, people have been laid off. So it's really in the in the teeth of of terrible, terrible times. I have to say, I'm not I'm not going to go to Qantas just yet. Wonderful brand, as you say, fantastic airline. My choice of airline when I fly. I'm not getting paid to say that, by the way, but Qantas get in touch. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I, I love I love the airline. I came back from London after a year there and got back on the plane, and the Australian accent, the Australian music in the cabin yeah. was just. It was, it was, you know, chicken soup for the soul, as they say. So, look, love the, love the business. I don't see how they get out of this without raising more money, though. And if they're very, very, very lucky, the government will give them a, a soft pass, both them and Virgin, and maybe they'll get through this without dilution, without too much grief. Um, Policy-wise, I hope that's not the case, and that, that's a whole different conversation, of course. But um, if the government's going to take, going to give them some money, they should take some equity as a result. I don't want to invest in the airlines until we know there is a clear path, frankly, through this, it would be the first time airlines gone broke. Ansett wasn't all that long ago. For those of us with a little less head than we used to have, um, those things happen regularly, right? And that wasn't in the midst of, of an unprecedented health and economic crisis. So yeah. it's a brave, brave person who buys Qantas shares right now. Maybe uh, maybe the shares double because they just do. Um, I'm not a speculator by nature. I'm a, I'm a long-term investor, so that's my thing. Um, maybe you get lucky, maybe you don't, but you're kind of betting on red or black with Qantas at the moment. Um, I don't think it's the sort of bet you want to be making. So I'd give it a very, very wide berth. There is a time though, and I think when we see some sort of clarity around funding, or we do some sort of path with that government funding, whether that's equity stakes, whether that's something else that happens, there will be a time cyclically to buy Qantas and Virgin. I doubt it's yet, and I doubt it's in the yeah. near term. Uh, it's probably a couple of months away till we see, if I can use the pun, some clear skies ahead. Yeah, and the government seems to be even as recently as, as yesterday saying, don't talk to us about bailing out Australian companies and you know you just remember back to the GFC the American government made billions in their TARP program didn't they say if you want to bail out terrific give us some shares and we'll go through the upside so I'm not sure why why the government's such a stickler against those sorts of things depending on the company and it's it's almost security worth Scott. Oh, I'd be I'd be very very happy for the government to take stakes in both yeah. Qantas and Virgin. Quite frankly, as you say, you know there is going to be a thriving airline industry after this. The fact the shares are so cheap now is because there is literally the risk of insolvency for both companies. If the government can buy shares at the current price and in the process take that insolvency risk away, yeah. I mean nothing's a certain bet. But man, if you've got the whip hand and you've regulations and you've got a long enough time horizon, and the government has all those three. I'd be, I'd be in there, you know, with as much cash like a throw at them, quite frankly. If I can get yeah. half of Qantas at the current price and know that I don't have any cash flow risk and I can hold it until it gets out of this, I'd be, I'd be investing in a heartbeat. Right. So if, if I'm the government, I'm buying shares, absolutely. Yeah. If I'm an individual investor, I'm giving it a wide berth. Yeah. Rudy, what do you reckon? If, if anyone has been hammered by this black swan event... It's been the airlines, hasn't it? Yes, I thought, out of nowhere. I thought you were going to say it's going well. Qantas, but it, I mean, it version, of course, is. Uh, I think the best thing that can happen, not for us as consumers, but for Qantas, is that the government doesn't help out Virgin, and and, and I think you might find a situation where Qantas will have the I mean the reign to itself for a few years, yeah. uh, and that would be very good for Qantas shareholders, right? I'm not so sure why that would be good for us as as consumers. As consumers, though, no. Right? <laughs> um, the other thing I, I'd like to add here is that um, it wasn't that long ago that um, Warren Buffett would always say you don't buy them you fly them yeah. um, but he's been buying uh, airlines over the past few years and selling them in recent recent times so even Warren Buffett has uh, 
changes during this work. I haven't, by the way. I've never owned an airline. I probably never will. Uh, and that's because of the, the, the nature of the business. Um, Qantas is a little bit different because it has a very strong position here in Australia and to a certain extent has been very long time uh, protected by the Australian government. But nevertheless, um, I, I casually uh, just, just buy tickets and not shares. Right, okay. All right. So I know, I know for Qantas. Our final stock in the top 10 for the call today on between midday and 1pm every trading day. And uh, with us, we're delighted to have Rudy Philippic Van Dyke from FN Arena and Scott Phillips from Motley Fool have been passing judgment on uh, nine stocks so far. Uh, the final one coming in. An interesting one I don't know too much about, Scott. Uh, based in Dublin, Fidios, a, a tech software business. It sounds like it should be an Irish company, doesn't it, with that name based yeah. in Dublin. <laughs> it's a really fascinating one. So we know fintech is huge, and that's frankly something we should be a little bit careful of whenever that tides all the way in on a particular theme or trend. Again, being kind of slightly contrarian, I get worried about that. So everyone's been hot on fintech for a couple of years now. That, that has the spidey sense of signaling a little bit, just to be a little bit careful. That being said, this is a pretty boring fintech, if you want to say it that way. They provide software to insurance companies. And I don't know how it gets much more boring than that, but maybe maybe some insurance company viewers will take me to task for that one. Um, let's assume they won't move on. If it's the sort of company that, that actually has a decent amount of potential. If you can master a niche, a little bit like Altium and some others, um, you, you do have a reasonable chance. If the niche is small enough that you can dominate it with something different, and Rudy mentioned before, it was a really, really great point. If, if you're making simply a better product and customers are happy to use it, want to use it, you're already three quarters of the way home. And I think Finios is showing that to some degree. Now it's small, it's risky, you've got to be mindful of that. It's by no means the dominant player that Alpha is or REA that we talked about earlier. So there are levels of dominance, meaning that's not there, um, but it's a really interesting little business. It's, mm. it's still very small, uh, but if it can continue to grow in this niche by simply giving insurance companies what they want software wise, and we know that FinTech is a really broad term, right? But individual categories, individual industries, individual tasks have their own software requirements, whether it's wealth management yep. or stockbroking or platform administration. In this case, it's insurance. If you can do that really, really well in a very kind of fit for purpose way, to use the jargon, that's a really attractive business. So mm. look, I'm not all in on a buy on Phineas, but I'm certainly interested. It's come across my radar a couple of times and I've been following it a little bit. Um, it's a, probably, I want to see a bit more success, a bit more track record first. Right. Um, some, some upside on the way, by the way, but I'm happy to kind of sit back and mm. miss that upside for a bit more certainty. But certainly as a business, it's a really attractive one to be jumping onto at some point if it can continue this March because it could, most of the next Altium because that's too lofty. But that same kind of idea, a dominant player in an impressive, sizable niche, that can be yeah. really good wealth creation for yeah, sure. that's interesting. I'm in an insure tech startup, so I know what Scott means about boring. But if you can help big insurance companies... Yeah sort of become more cost efficient and break down their legacy systems that keep holding them back and you build a niche, it can be pretty attractive. What these guys also offer is that they actually analyze the data yeah. so they can give the insurance companies, they start off as life insurance admin company basically, yeah. and they basically give the insurance company a better profile of this is your customer, right? Yeah. And this is what they do and things. Right. So that, that's where, the, where, the, where all of the advantages come in. Um, two things to point out here. Um, Hasn't the ASX done a really good job in marketing themselves as yeah. a technology uh, stock exchange when you get European companies listing here? Yeah. 
Uh, and the other thing uh, to point out is um, usually, on my observation, it, it takes about four years before you have a, a new listing showing its true colors. Uh, they have to go a little bit over time. Uh, this one, so far, I think it listed late last year, has done uh, everything well since listing. It's actually exceeding IPO forecasts. Uh, and that's quite good in, given the environment. Yeah. Um, so it does have a few boxes ticked, but again, it's by no means in its fourth year after listing. Right. And that okay. increases the risk profile. All right, so uh, Scott says it's interesting and worth following. Definitely. Not a no, but interesting, worth yeah. following. Oh, listen, it's, it, it might be worth uh, buying a small, small parcel and, 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 yeah. just, and just see how you go. Okay. Uh, because the fact that it, it managed I mean, a lot of companies list, and in particular when the economic downturn arrives or whatever, all those forecasts in the IPO document go out the window. Yeah. This one actually manages to do considerably better. Yeah. Now, that might be, over time, a big statement of what, what lies ahead of them. So that yeah. there is a, okay. I mean, there, there's maybe right. an indication there. Well, an interesting one to, uh, to finish on, as I, I said, I didn't know much about it but a really interesting company mm. there, which is what I love. And what we love here at Ausbiz, not just the top 200 companies, but the mid and small caps mm. who have got great stories to tell and doing good things in market. So how do you work out whether the good story will turn into an investment? That's why we have Rudy and Scott with us here on the call. So uh, really appreciate your time today, guys. So if I can just recap, no for Fortescue because anticipation of iron ore price going down, no on zero resources. Frontier Digital is too much in the frontier. Uh, James Hardy, probably the wrong time of the cycle there. Miso Blaster, no. Altium, a good, very good business, good management. Same with REA, both guys like uh, Altium and REA. Northern Star, you know, not so much. Uh, Rudy buys a commodity rather than the the gold miners, no for Qantas, and Phineos, interesting and worth following. Scott Phillips from Motley Fall, really appreciate your time. Look, Rudy Philippek van Dyke from FN Arena. Very kind. Good to see you again, Rudy. Want to submit any stocks for us to put to our panel of experts? You can do so via email, the call at ausbiz.com.au, Twitter at TV. Don't forget, we put all this up on the podcast and also on our platform that you can uh, go and catch up with later in the day if you want to.